Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, May 21st, 2018. One of those days where I don't feel totally ready. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down. Stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. And we take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolates, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we need to be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine that's put forward by consumption by uh, the most popular evangelical types, it's far from biblical, far from what God's Word says. And so we do the comparing and contrasting with an open Bible. One of the things I have said many times on the program and will continue to say, and that is never listen to fighting for the faith with an open mind. I don't need you to give me the benefit of the doubt. Don't need you to listen with an open mind. Yeah, listen with an open Bible. That's that's kind of the idea. So uh, here we are, uh, Monday, uh, the beginning of a new week, and a, li- a little bit of a heads up. Uh, starting next week, I will be out of the studio for two weeks. I have some pastoral things that I need to tend to, and I'm also going to try to get a little bit of downtime and uh, recharge the batteries, if you would. Many of you ask the question, how is it, Chris, that you're able to listen to so much heresy without losing your mind? Um, <laughs> I, I can't promise that I haven't already lost my mind. I may have. Uh, but uh, one of the things I do try to do is take some scheduled downtime in order to recharge the batteries, get a little bit away from uh, you know the heresy, and uh, and so that I can come at it afresh, if you would. And so uh, that that's what I'll be doing starting next week. Again, I you know I have some pastoral duties that I will be tending to 
So, uh, you know, that being the case, it's not exactly like, you know, the whole thing's vacation. That That's not it at all. So, but I will be taking some downtime. Trying, I'll keep an eye on what's going on, but uh, I won't have any ability to comment until after I get back. So I, I thought what we would do is, uh, you know, kind of schedule my time away from uh, the Fighting for the Faith microphone in the Pirate Cave in the Aletheia concurrent with the ending of this year's heresy hurricane season. Yeah, that's, I, I thought that's what I would do. So just to let you know. Okay, so, um, you know, of course, like I said, I'll be monitoring my Facebook and other things like that. But I, I will not have, I literally will not have the ability to uh, to comment on any uh, major things that might happen because not a lot of major things happen anyway. But uh, you know, until I get back, uh, which will be the second week of June. So uh, let's talk about what we're going to do with this episode of Fighting for the Faith. We're going to uh, begin with a, a David Crank update. We're going to check in with uh, David Crank's uh, sermon titled Look Again. Yeah, Look Again. I'm not sure what we're going to be listening to on that one. Uh, I previewed it and kind of was you know scratching my head just saying, what on earth? So we'll listen to that. And uh, then we will also, uh, first half of the uh, first hour, we're going to check in also with uh, Larry and Tiz Huck. Yeah, yesterday was Pentecost. So, you know, Pentecost is, is actually a biblical feast day. It, you know, 50 days after Passover uh, is the Pentecost. And uh, it's, the, it's the, you know, the feast of first fruits, if you would. And, of course, Larry Huck never misses a good Jewish feast day to line his pockets with more money and to scam people. So we'll check in, at least get some of the details of his latest scam. Uh, somewhere in there we'll take a break, and uh, then we'll spend the last half of the first hour, we might go a little bit long, listening to um, a sermon by John and Carol Arnott uh, titled, How It All Happened. You've, you've heard of the Toronto Blessing? Well, on the 29th of April, they took the occasion on that Sunday to not actually preach the word. Yeah, like, no, not at all. Um, instead, they, uh, John and Carol Arnott explained how it all happened. You know, the founding of the Toronto airport, it was originally a vineyard church, but, uh, and then, you know, so, you know, <laughs> well, listen to their history. And then many of you have been requesting a sermon review. From the royal wedding, uh, Michael Curry's um, sermon. And so, what we'll do, uh, hour number two is not a very long sermon. Uh, we will listen to the most reverend Michael Curry uh, deliver the homily or address from uh, the the royal wedding. And um, y- y- this is one that I mean, as far as discernment is to try to figure out well, where does this one go off the rails. Um, you, you, it, it, it requires a higher level of discernment. And unfortunately, by me offering you know a sermon review of the theology in this thing, of course, I open myself up to uh, you know to you know you're just being nitpicky, Rose, bro. Yeah, listen, I, I'm a sucker for weddings, and uh, you know I I really uh, got to admit I enjoyed watching the royal wedding. Uh, but uh, one of the more fascinating things is is that everything done in the royal wedding w- had um, political, you know, world changing. Uh, there, were, they, everything was done intentionally to send a message, this message or that message, and uh, which, you know, yeah, you know, uh, you know. So uh, we'll we'll talk about 
the the Reverend Michael Curry's sermon. We'll listen to it and uh, note. You know, we'll, we'll listen to it by you know, properly distinguishing between law and gospel. And it's not like he didn't say some good things. I th- I thought he actually said some some things that technically, the you know most people would say, yeah, that's good. But uh, the issue is is that there was not a clear distinction between law and gospel. And as a result of it, um, although the cross was mentioned, yeah, and it was spoken about, the question that we'll have to take a listen to is, was the gospel proclaimed? Mm -hmm. Yeah, see, I, I think the law was proclaimed, but I don't think the gospel was. And as a result of it, you know, it you know, as much as I wanted to enjoy this sermon, I found myself going, oh, if only. Yeah. Could you imagine if he had actually preached law and gospel properly? But uh, and in, 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 in this particular case, you know, the um, congregation was not comprised of baptized, penitent believers in Jesus Christ. And instead, the audience was the world. I mean, the whole world was listening. And uh, this would be the the time to tell people of, you know, salvation in Jesus Christ and how he bled and died for their sins. And and he, since he was talking about love, which, you know, love technically is the law. The law is yeah, summed up in love your neighbor as yourself and love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love is the fulfilling of the law, Scripture teaches. Uh, that being the case, um, this would have been a perfect opportunity for uh, the Reverend Michael Curry to really firmly, politely, and delicately, in some senses, really point out how we as a human race and as the world, we do not love each other, and therefore we have fallen woefully short. And this is why Christ's death on the cross is so vital, because ultimately the... Uh, you know, Scripture points to uh, the love that a husband is to have for his wife is informed by and modeled by Jesus Christ and his love for his bride, the church. So, I mean, this would have been a great way to kind of flesh this all out, but unfortunately, it just didn't work out that way. So, I was a I was I, I was disappointed, best way I can put it. So that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend you make yourself comfortable. We've got a lot of ground we need to cover since we're going to begin with a David Crank update. Let's do this. I've just closed my eyes again Climbed aboard the dream weaver train Trying to take away my worries of today And leave tomorrow Oh 
Gary Wright and uh, Dreamweaver. That can mean only one thing. We're heading over to Faith Church St. Louis. Uh, we're going to be listening to a sermon delivered on Cinco de Mayo, uh, Spanish lingo there, uh, May the 5th, by uh, Pastor David Crank, and it's titled Look Again. And, uh, I mean, this thing begins with certain red flags that if you hear your pastor do stuff like this, run. And if uh, David Crank is your pastor, run. Yeah, run. Do not walk. Get out of there. Flee the building. You need to find a good church because this is not a good one. Let's listen in. Here we go. Get preaching. Everybody, everybody shout. Let's get preaching, preacher. So there's a significance about today's sermon. And the number one significant part of it is, is it is brand new. It's fresh. Never been preached before. Uh, <laughs> you see, right there. I to see that right, the flag on the play. I need a whistle or something. But uh, you, you get the idea. If a pastor says that what you're about to hear is fresh, never before heard. <laughs> yeah, you are in a really bad spot. The reason I say that is because Scripture is clear that the job of a pastor is to preach the word and that Christianity is the faith once delivered to the saints. Yeah, in fact, Jude actually says it, if you need a biblical verse. Uh, Jude 3, Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, and I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So the idea is, is that it's the faith once for all delivered to the saints. There, 2,000 years later, there is nothing new uh, that pastors should be preaching or teaching. There's nothing fresh. Nope. Yeah, in fact, everything in Christianity is 2,000-year-old, at least, stale. Now, it's not technically stale. It's not really stale. The idea here is the job of pastors to preach the Word, to disciple people in all that Christ has taught. It's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Apostles wrote the New Testament. Prophets wrote the Old. That being the case, there's no, nothing new. Yeah, in fact, I can honestly say that... Um, <laughs> You know, if you've heard something new in my sermons, it's not because I'm preaching anything new. It's because you actually haven't been to a church where the pastor preaches all the old stuff. Yeah, if your pastor isn't preaching all the old stuff, the old stuff will sound new, but it ain't new. But here, uh, David Crank's claiming that he's going to preach something new, something fresh. Yeah, that's a bad sign. I um, I was on my way to rehearsal to drop off all these singers are incredible, but there was one up here in camel pants that I just really was fond of a lot. And, and uh, she needed me to drive her because she's 14, going on 30, if you know what I'm talking about. Kind of and when we were driving here on the way, I heard the Holy Spirit say, you know that message you thought you were praying, preaching? Did you preach last week in Florida? Yeah. He said, you're not going to preach that. And I thought, oh, crap. Come on, somebody. What am I going to It's four o'clock. Now, aside from the uh, inappropriate expletive there, um, mild as it is, I just don't see how you can justify that from the pulpit. Uh, But uh, that being the case, um, notice that when a pastor speaks in this way, he's claiming that he's receiving direct revelation from God and that the message that he's about to deliver is basically a command performance, a command message given by God himself. And so he's claiming inspiration for the sermon 
that borders on, if not flat out crosses that border, uh, uh, borders on, uh, you know, like a biblical proportion. This is a direct revelation. God told him to preach this. So if you disagree with the pastor and say, whoa, whoa, slow down there, guy. What you just said isn't correct. You're not fighting with the pastor. Mm -mm. You're fighting with God. You see, if this is really a, a, a you know a revelation that he's received from God, a message that he's supposed to deliver, if God's really talking to David Crank in that way, then every Christian, regardless of the church he goes to or she goes to, is actually duty-bound to listen to these words that came directly from God and, and, and put them into our Bible. It's more like 350, but it's too late. But the message came to me in one moment. I went home and tried to write some of it down just because, you know, it's always scary up here looking at you. Not that you're ugly, but you can be intimidating. Come on, someone. And uh, the Lord spoke to me this word, and here it is. But before I tell you the word, let me tell you what today is. Some of you think it's Cinco de Mayo. That's why a lot of our drunken alcoholic parishioners are not here tonight because of Cinco de Mayo. I saw a buddy of mine, he put on his Instagram today, and it was, a, it was a jar of mayo, and it was laying in a sink. And he said, happy Cinco de Mayo day. Come on, sir. But, uh, it, but anyway, it's not, it's not about Cinco de Mayo. Today, there is a significance in numerology. You know, six, six. N- numerology. Since when are pastors supposed to preach on numerology? Some of y'all know you don't want that to be your numbers. Don't tattoo that on your arm, right? It's an ever man. But five in numerology means grace. And today is the fifth day of the fifth month. In numerology, it means grace. So, okay, we're into numerology, not biblical doctrine at all. Wow. Stands the reason that God has got a grace, grace word for you, an on-time word that I believe. Come on, somebody. Turn me up. Somebody ought to say amen to this right now. This is a word for somebody. So here, here's, here's the title of the sermon. Look again. Look again. Look again. So years ago, Nicole got pregnant. We wanted to have a baby. And uh, I told her, you know, hey, listen, let's do this. I mean, we, I always love it when guys say we are, we are pregnant or when we were pregnant because we were never pregnant. <laughs> she was pregnant. I had a lot to do with it, like a very small couple of minutes. Come on, somebody understand what I'm saying right here. And, but then she carried this thing to term. Well, well, we, were, we weren't pastors. She was in the business world. I was in the business Women are not pastors, and God's word strictly forbids women from being pastors. And, and we, we also, back in the day when you can make money flipping houses, we were doing that. And Nicole was, was working during the day and doing stuff at night. And, and she was pregnant with this precious little baby and something terrible happened. She had a miscarriage. And you should have seen her face when she came out of the doctor's office that day. To find out that what was in her wasn't alive. And it was in that moment there that I could feel the pain of my wife that I couldn't do anything about it. And you might be there today to where the dream that you had and you thought you had was over. So what do you do in a moment like that? You know, you can't be like, hey, let me tell you a couple jokes. It doesn't work. You can't fix it with money. You're just hurting and you can't change it. But my, my, my intuition on the inside, I could hear the Lord say, look again. And so we waited and some time passed using wisdom. And she got pregnant again. Look again. 
But during that moment while she was pregnant, the enemy kept telling her, because of the things that you've done, because of the sin that you were in in past times, because you did this, because of this thing that you had, because of that, you're never going to be able to have a child. You're not going to carry it to term. And, and, and then we went on a trip. She hadn't felt Ashton move. Because Ashton was very, very, she was mobile. She would just like, my, Nicole said, she, anybody ever kid that had, had a, you were ever pregnant and the baby felt like it was going to claw its way out. She, I, it was like Ashton was in there. All that ADD that she has now, it was in there. And we were in Mexico and, and for a, a couple of days, she didn't feel any movement. And you know, the devil is a liar and he'll try to beat you over the head. And then like day five, she's scared. I remember we we're in the pool and she looked at me and said, David, I'm scared. She hasn't moved. And I, I don't want to go to the doctor and hear this again. And I, I didn't know what to say except to preach faith to her. I didn't know this was true for sure, but I knew for sure. So notice he's not preaching a biblical text. He's preaching a life experience, but claims that uh, the message he's delivering, you know, that the orders to preach this message go all the way up to God. He, it was downloaded into his spirit in a moment, he claimed. Last thing that I was, the biggest thing I was scared of was going to a hospital in Mexico. Come on, somebody help me right now. Y'all going with me on this? No offense. I mean, no, no offense whatsoever. But I said, no, 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 it's going to be okay. And by me telling her, look at me in the eyes. Come here, look at me in the eyes. This is not going to happen again. You're going to have this baby. God is helping us. The fruit of your body is blessed. In other words, don't look at what didn't happen, Nicole. Look again. You're going to carry this baby to term. Come on, somebody ought to help me right now. And I'm- yeah, look, look again, because apparently God told him to, you know, look again you right now that just because it didn't happen the first time doesn't mean it's not going to happen the second time just because it failed the third time doesn't mean that god's not going to show up the yeah just because it failed the first time doesn't mean that it won't fail the second time either Uh uh-huh this is not a message from god you're making it sound like god is promising oh yeah you know uh, that uh, just because things went poorly the first time doesn't mean they won't go poorly the second time. But the reality is, is that they could go poor as poorly and not, and in fact, worse the second time than they did the first time. This is not a message from God because God hasn't promised that, uh, you know, to any of us that uh, when things didn't go right the first time, that they'll go well the second. God has not promised that. Somebody ought to help me right now. Whatever you're going through today, look again, look again, look again. And then I remember later that night, we we went out to eat with some preacher friends that we were with. We had a good time. And then all of a sudden she walked around the room and she said, oh my God, she's moving. She's moving. And she started crying. And I started crying because I was so excited that she was excited. And how many of y'all know what didn't look like was go- it was going to carry uh, to the end that the devil was a liar. And you're like, what happened? You saw her up here today. Come on, somebody. God is still in charge. Right. God's always been in charge, but that's not always a comfort. Mm-hmm. Somebody ought to help me right now. He can turn the situation around for your good. He Definitely, for those who love the Lord, will cause all things to work together for good. But that doesn't mean that he's going to make the situation work out the way we want it to, or even work out well. We might end up suffering terribly 
in the midst of these circumstances that God will eventually work together for good. You just have to realize just because it didn't happen the first time doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. You just need to look again. Oh, I just need to look again. Like that's going to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've, I've had situations where the loan didn't go through and you had to look again. I've had. Oh, the loan didn't go through. Oh, that's yeah. first world problem there. Situations where you've lost a job and then you look again and come to find out it wasn't that job. God brought you there to get you here. And what looked like a demotion or a disappointment. Yeah, but what about the fellow who loses his job and is now, you know, 10 months since he's been able to find another job? He hasn't found another job. It's been 10 months. He's living off of his uh, retirement and the retirement funds are dwindling. And every resume he sends out, despite the fact that he's sending resumes and interviewing for jobs, still doesn't have one. Hmm. You're making it sound like, oh, you, you just got to look again. What kind of advice is this? And how does this comfort people? Actually, appointment. Come on, somebody ought to help me right now for God to do what he said he was going to do. You know, what's really interesting is that Scripture actually tells us that the fellow who was, un, who was out of a job is incapable of putting food on his table. That fellow is our responsibility. We are to care for him, help him, assist him financially. And if, if, even if it means loaning him money and we, we don't loan it at interest. Fascinating that you're not admonishing the people there onto good works for the fellow who, you know, lost his job. Now in Luke chapter 1, verse 5, it says, In the days of Herod, the king of Judah, there was a certain priest named Zacharias, and um, his wife was the, the daughters of Aaron. You're going to Luke 1 again. This is the second time in a week I've heard somebody twist Luke 1. And uh, this is going to be an interesting twist. You know, I'm, in fact, I'm going to make a decision. We'll, uh, uh, <laughs> we'll uh, go ahead and go into our first break. When we come back, we'll listen to a little bit more of this sermon. Then we'll go to uh, uh, the uh, sermon from uh, John and Carol Arnott at the Toronto Airport Church on how it all happened. I'll save... Larry and Tiz Huck and the Yummy Sound for uh, uh, you know another uh, episode sometime later this week. But I, I want to see what he's going to do with this text from Luke chapter one. Of course, you know he got direct revelation from God uh, apparently on you know preaching this particular sermon. But uh, let's go ahead and go to our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name's there, at Pirate Christian. we come back, a little bit more of uh, David Crank, and uh, then we'll hear from John and Carol Arnott. Stay tuned, don't want to miss them. We'll be right back. If you're a weather warrior, it's time to lay down your weapons. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. Presents 
Church Day Select. I don't know why we have to come to these small group sessions. They're just so boring. Hey, do you find that small groups just aren't that interesting or fun anymore? That's quite literally what I just said. Then we have the product just for you. New from Los Lobos Ministries is Beth Moore's Biblical Mad Libs. Well, what is it? Simple. Beth Moore's Biblical Mad Libs are an entire booklet loaded with fill-in-the-blank Bible passages. Aren't we supposed to read the scriptures the way they were originally written? None of you want to spice up your small group Bible studies. With Beth Moore's Biblical Mad Libs, you can make every passage be about you. Isn't scripture about Jesus? Only if you want it to be. In our postmodern age, it's stupid to think that such a thing as absolute truth actually exists. Every passage is open to interpretation. Read the example. But now that you have been set free from financial debt and have become warriors of God, the fruit you get leads to better sex and eternal life. For the wages of sin are smelly diapers, but the free gift of God is a really good tax return in Jesus Christ our Lord. That was absolutely heretical. Why would anyone butcher scripture like this? Because modern-day Christians like you don't endure sound doctrine. By popular demand, you've appointed leaders in the church who've given your itching ears what they want to hear and haven't looked back since. Ha! Suckers! This is just horrible. If you thought it couldn't get any worse, then you're just as foolish as Naval. We've already expanded the biblical Mad Lib franchise to include alternate Bible translations. That can't be good. You're right! It isn't! We now have Biblical Mad Libs in The Voice, the NIV, the KJV, the NKJV, and, for a limited time only, we have the Furtick Audaciously Revised Translation. Wait, doesn't that last one spell? Yes, it does spell fun. Not just fun for you, but for the entire small group. We've even created a Biblical Mad Libs Junior Edition to get the kids twisting scripture from a young age. I would never buy this for my children. Lucky for you, you don't have to. We're handing out free copies to every youth group in the nation. Plus, we're also including a special copy of Elevation Church's The Code Coloring Book for a little extra heretical flavor. You're not going to get away with this. You can't stop us. We're already in control. Resistance is futile. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? 
she be endorsing the health and wealth heresy? Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. is to heretic, to R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that pastors who claim they get their messages directly from God are to be avoided like the plague, because they are. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew, and your rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's made at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster, $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. If you would like to support us similarly via Patreon, being a patron on Patreon, click on the Become a Patron button. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you do so by clicking on the Donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. And then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota. Zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly and honestly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, let's head back to... Uh, David Crank's sermon on, look again, he's claimed direct revelation from God, he's told us a life story, and now he's twisting the story of the birth of John the Baptist in Luke chapter 1. We noted last week uh, when uh, when uh, Sarah Jakes Roberts was twisting this text, that this is a text that is about Jesus, and this is the story of the birth of Christ and the one prophesied who would be the forerunner of Jesus, and that's John the Baptist. And so this is all talking about Christ and what he's doing and done to save us. And uh, what is David Crank doing with this text? And her name was Elizabeth. Everybody shout Elizabeth. Elizabeth. And... There were both righteous before the Lord, walking in the commandments of his ordinances, blameless before the Lord, but they had no child. Everybody shout that they had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. In other words, it doesn't look promising for them because in the natural, 
they're too old. But if yeah, you do understand, and this this is a very sensitive subject for women who are barren. That 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 despite all efforts, you know, that they have made, they are unable to conceive. Yeah, the birth of John the Baptist is not a promise that women who are barren will be able to conceive. This is a really terrible twisting of this text, and one that is extremely insensitive to those who suffer the anguish and the pain that goes along with being barren, desiring to have children but being unable to. This is wicked what, uh, what he's doing here. God puts a super on your natural, you will become a supernatural carrier of the anointing of God, and God can do in a moment what other people cannot do. I'm going to back that up. You've got to hear it again in context. This is unbelievable. Listen again. They had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. In other words, it doesn't look promising for them because in the natural, they're too old. But if God puts a super on your natural, you will become a supernatural carrier of the anointing of God. And God- If God puts a super on your natural, you'll become a supernatural carrier of the anointing. This is utter nonsense. The sentence he just said is literally garbage. Uh, it's nonsensical. It, there's, there are no promises like this in Scripture. And the reason why we have the story of the uh, conception and birth of John the Baptist is because it's related to our salvation in Jesus Christ and the incarnation of the Son of God in human flesh. Can do in a moment what other people cannot do in a lifetime. Verse 14, for the sake of time, it says, And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. And now, after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, verse 24, and hid herself for five months. And here's part of the reason why she hid herself, if, if you study this out theologically, that she hid herself because she did not want people to think she was pregnant. She didn't want anybody saying she was pregnant, because after all, what if I'm not pregnant? What I want to challenge you tonight is on 5-5. Yeah, on Cinco de Mayo, because he said it's important because of numerology. What did you think you were going to be pregnant with, but now you're afraid to tell somebody because, after all, it hasn't happened by now? <laughs> what? What did I think I was going to be pregnant with? What are you talking about? I've never been pregnant. My wife has, but, you know, three times, in fact. But I've never been myself, you know. Because you would look absolutely crazy to tell them you were going to land that contract. For me? Yeah, the story of the birth of John the Baptist has nothing whatsoever to do with you landing a contract. Dad died at St. Anthony's Hospital, and I was rejected by my mother. I'd went through a terrible divorce, and it looked like it was over. Because as a dream, as a child, I always thought I would be preaching. When other people were... Yeah, you're still not doing that yet. You have no clue what it means to actually preach. Playing different games, I had a little bitty platform that my dad built. It was supposed to be a clubhouse, but he never finished it. And I would stand up there in those trees in South County at 2851 Olandale, and I would preach my heart out because I was seven and eight years old, but I knew what I was going to do. But then the divorce happened, then the setback happened, then the portrayal happened, and then God didn't discount me, but I discounted myself. But look again. All of a sudden now I'm divorced, abandoned, betrayed, rejected. 
not healthy. And then all of a sudden I thought, I'm going to look again. And then I was invited to a little get together at Helen's Fitzgerald for salad and wings. Come on, somebody. Because somebody ought to thank God for some hot wings. I said, I'm talking wings right now. Do you know that Mountain Dew and wings are in the Bible? I didn't know this. Till John Gray told me last week, he said, Mountain Dew and wings are in the Bible. We were getting ready to eat some wings. I said, what? He said, yeah, the Bible says mount up on wings. Come on, somebody. As eagles. We're about to mount up on this. So, so I went there. Yeah, so apparently he's good friends with the self-absorbed John Gray. Wow. I saw Nicole. There was a lot of guys fluttering around her. But when I saw her, I thought, you're going to be my baby's mama. Come on, somebody. ought to help me right now. But it, it looked impossible. Right. Yeah. See, that's the, the what the story of the announcement and the birth of John the Baptist is all about. It's about when you see that woman and you get that wibbly wobbly feeling inside of you and you're thinking, yeah, you know, she's going to be my baby's mama. <sighs> Unbelievable. And the worst part is that he, at the beginning of this sermon, claimed that he had received this directly from none other than God, the Holy Spirit himself. And this is the message that God, the Holy Spirit, wanted him to preach. And we're not hearing nothing about Jesus. We're hearing a lot about him. And we're hearing nothing about the need to repent, to be forgiven in Christ, to bear fruit in keeping with repentance and doing good works in love for our neighbor, because we are saved. Yeah, in fact, there was an opportunity right there in the sermon for him to talk about our obligation to our brothers and sisters to help them and assist them in their time of financial need and heard nothing, absolutely nothing regarding that. Wow, what a mess. All right, moving along. We're going to go a little long in this hour because the sermon review is short. It's, 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 it's the sermon from the uh, the royal wedding. So I want to go a little bit long here. Let's uh, go and do a prophetic holy orders network information exchange syndicate update. Let's do this. And uh, so we're heading over to the airport church in Toronto, used to be the airport vineyard. And uh, they they came up on their, what was it, 20-year anniversary this year of the so-called Toronto Blessing. And uh, they took the occasion on April 29th, a Sunday, to not preach God's word, but to give an account and basically say, here's how it all Happened history apparently was made with the uh, so-called uh, Toronto 
outpouring and blessing. And uh, let's let them tell the story. It, it doesn't take them that long to tell. And don't worry, that no one's sins will be convicted, um, which is what the Scriptures say the Holy Spirit will do. Jesus said when he sends the Holy Spirit, he would convict the world of sin and unbelief and things like that. Um, so uh, let's uh, listen in to this historical, uh, uh, you know, austere moment of the 20-year anniversary of the so-called Toronto Blessing. Here we go. This is also a really great celebration for all of us because 30 years ago we began this church. Amazing. Yeah, 30 years ago they started the Toronto Airport Vineyard. 20 years ago was the so-called blessing. 30 years. Ah! And so it's been a very fast 30 years, I can tell you. But... um, uh, just to give you a little bit of background. Where's Mr. Sponge? I don't see him up on the stage. That's kind of, kind of a bummer, you know. Uh, we, we were in Vancouver with uh, an event there that was like a mm-hmm. world fair of some sort, yep. you remember? And we're hanging out with a bunch of YWAM friends. And uh, they're talking about global this and that and all that YWAM does. And the Lord spoke clearly to me and said... I want you to go to Toronto and plant a church. And, uh, you know, Carol wasn't thrilled. I was not thrilled. I hate to tell you this, but I was not thrilled because we had just finished a church in Stratford. We had built a new house. We were just getting that church all nice and rolling and going. And now he's talking about moving to Toronto. And so I really struggled, and I could not hear from God. I said, God, I want you to speak to me because I need to hear from you personally. And so we had this um, Jerry Steingard, who is it was pastor in the Stratford Church, um, brought a friend of his. And he came and introduced him, and he came, and he had Doc Martin boots on, skinny, skinny, tight pants on, leather jacket, orange hair, bicycle chains around his neck and his arms, and he was the speaker at our church that morning. Everybody thought he was off the streets, (laughs) and his name was Mark DuPont. (laughs) And when you hugged him, my ironing board had more give. He's changed. He's really, really, really changed. But anyway, I did not go to the the, the leaders meeting that we had the the Saturday night. And Shirley Smith, um, who has been with us right from the beginning, uh, who has now gone to be with Jesus. But Joanne Radke, her uh, uh, housemate, is up in our um, Sunday school. And she... Surely came down to visit. and I now, Keep in mind, uh, the Bible remains closed during this message. Surely, surely I've asked the Lord that if Mark DuPont is truly a prophetic man, that he will give me a word because I can't hear from the Lord. If the Lord wants us to move to Toronto, then I'm, I want to move. But I need to know for me. But I wasn't going to go because I didn't want to hear it in front of but, our own but leaders. But wait a minute. I was telling you that. I was trying to tell you that. I know you were trying to tell me that, but I needed to hear from me, right? Because John gets all kinds of ideas, you know. I just want, <laughs> I wanted to Are make sure. Are you saying sure. you're not always, you know, the Lord? I mean, uh, so anyway, 
Um, we get down to Toronto. We did the, the Sunday morning service. Our people thought Mark was, you know, flipped out um, when he stood up to speak. It was really a good message. We drove to Toronto to do the Toronto Afternoon Church. And as Mark finished the meeting, I don't know why John and I were at the back of the auditorium, but anyway, Mark said, and he's got the longest finger, and it kind of goes like this when he prophesies. And he says, um, I shouldn't do this publicly, but John and Carol, you're supposed to be in Toronto. And John thought... Carol's going to think I subtly somehow put him up to this. <laughs> and he's looking at me. And I thought, Carol's going to be a wreck. She'll just be just hurt and this and that. But she's sitting there like, so I'm like, are you okay? And she's like, I'm fine. <laughs> and I was. It's kind of like one of those women moments, you know. <laughs> but you see, I didn't tell him what I'd asked the Lord. I told Shirley. But I didn't tell him. Yeah. But it, when Mark said that, it was just like God spoke directly to my heart. And it was like, right. This is right. Okay. I'm for it. And so. So we did. And uh, yeah. <laughs> and the rest is history, I guess. Uh, but this church began. In my mother's living room, just over here near Burnham Thorpe and 427. Yeah. And uh, a number of people from Stratford came and helped us begin that. Joanne Radke. I don't know where you are, Joanne, up in children's ministry. Children. There she is. She's waving at the top. Where are you, Joanne? Thank you, Joanne. Yeah, come on. We honor you. We bless you. And uh, so they, they were a part of those early days. And then we. We, as a group, decided we need to go Sundays. And so we began in Blue Early School and went to Silverthorne High School. And then we rented a place at the other end of the runway in uh, Darien Dixie Road. And so this is barely six years on, is it? Right. And and, uh, the Holy Spirit visited us after the Argentine encounter. And I'll give you that story real quick. Now, that's an important bit of of, um, charismatic history. The uh, New Apostolic Reformation and the Toronto thing, this all has its origin in one way or another with the uh, 1990s Argentina revival. Uh, we'll have to talk about that at a future time, but uh, you you got to keep that in mind. Because, see, this church is rooted and grounded in revival fire it from is. the beginning. Yeah. It started uh, out of the vineyard movement with conferences and everything. That's how we met Connie and Jeremy. He- yeah, that's right. It definitely came out of the vineyard. you got to know that. Is out of people's church. He wasn't too sure about these charismatic. Because even Wimber, uh, this what they did at Toronto was far too beyond the Orthodox pale. And after the Toronto airport blessing thingy started happening, uh, the, the John and Carol are not, and their church were removed from the uh, from the Vineyard movement. You, you got to know that as well. We continue. <laughs> but he was willing to help us out with 
sound and everything. So he came and set up all his speakers and everything. And we did conferences three or four times in high schools as we were ramping up to the church plant. And so Jeremy and Connie were with us almost from the beginning. They were, yeah. And they're still with us. Isn't that great? It's fantastic. They now pastor a church yeah. in Barrie, or they would have been here this morning. Yeah, Duncan's up there probably yeah. blowing the place up. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> but um, just to give you history, we began in schools. And the, the, the thing about that is every week you've got to set up and tear down. It gets old real quick. It does. Doesn't it, Sue? <laughs> and so that, that happened. And we rented a place at the other end of the airport. But meanwhile, we uh, had spent the 80s learning the values of the Father's love and the healing of the heart. And we're hugely indebted uh, to... To Jack Winter, who's with the Lord now, and John Sanford, who's also now just a couple of weeks ago went to be with the Lord. And they taught us uh, values that really changed our lives. And we worked through those through the 80s. But we had to come back to uh, uh, the realization that it's the power and love and presence of the Holy Spirit that makes all the difference. And we learned that at Benny's. Yeah, so. We, we had not had an, a time with Benny for a long time. John used to drive him in the early days of Benny's ministry before Benny had a driver's license. And Benny came to the uh, Air Canada Center uh, in 92. Two. Summer of 92. Actually, I think it was the old Maple Leaf Gardens. Oh, was it? One of anyway. the last meetings there. However, downtown, and we went, and, and long story short, I got absolutely blasted. You did. I got absolutely radically blasted. Carol went that way. You got what? Blasted is a way of describing inebriation or being drunk. Why would the Holy Spirit inebriate you? Her shoes went that way. <laughs> And then in the back room afterwards, Benny usually is Clark Kent. And, um, you know, Superman on the stage, Clark Kent with a Coke afterwards. But this night, he was still powerfully under the anointing. We had Kim DuPont with him. She went flying one way. I went on the floor. I don't know where John went, but I could I not get up. I was on the floor up. briefly. I could not get up. I could not move. And I'm thinking, all these people are around, but I couldn't move. Anyway, John had to carry me home. And Benny's saying, pick up your wife. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I can't. She's like stuck to the floor. And, uh, leave her. And, um, and so that continued all night and all the next day. And at Benny's meeting, we realized that as pastors, we were focused on the problems, on the people, on the issues, and forgot, sort of, yeah. how big and how wonderful and how magnificent the Holy Spirit was and God was to heal the sick, to set them free, and we just got a whole new vision huh, of the Holy Spirit and how powerful he was. And then we went to Argentina. And in Argentina, it was a similar thing. Uh, 
Claudio Friesen, who some of you met. How many were here when Claudio spoke? And so you know what I'm talking about. There's just like, this is full on, everybody. And he agreed to pray for all the Westerners. And so we went up on the platform sort of one after another. Carol went first. And surprise, surprise, she went completely ballistic. Uh, I'm not sure what happened to your shoes that day, but you were gone, gone, gone. gone. And they dragged you out. I fell over politely. And uh, I'm lying there thinking, you know, did I just take a courtesy fall for him or did... Did, did he push me? And he's, he's like, oh, you know, he's not, he's not gentle, gentle that day. No. And uh, so I got up and I'm sort of there on my knees like this. And he wheeled around and said, do you want it? And I'm thinking, yeah, I want it. And I, I'm inside, I'm going, why do you think I spent thousands of dollars and you know, all this time and I'm going to Argentina? You, you know, of course I want it. Then he said words that changed my life. Then take it. And he slapped both my hands, but bam, inside, I'm like, yeah. I had a split second revelation that you can't be passive when it comes to the Holy Spirit. He wants to know that you really want him. Yeah. Um, What? So it's up to me. The Holy Spirit's waiting, you know, like a junior high girl. You know, who's, you know, feeling a little shy, waiting at, you know, at the dance, you know, over there on the bleachers and the the Holy, before the Holy Spirit will come out and dance with you, you have to prove to the Holy Spirit that you really want him. Which biblical text says that? You really want him then he really wants you, but he's not all that interested in the casual. Okay. And, and so he. Something happened to me that day and to Carol. We came home to meetings and I heard from a friend about Randy Clark had a similar thing with Rodney Howard Brown. I knew who he was. I knew him a little bit from other meetings and I called him and said, Randy, I want you to come. Long story short, he came and it was normal enough that first Thursday night, January 2094. But when he said, if anyone would like prayer, just come on up. And I'd be happy to pray for you. And as people sort of thought, yeah, I think I'll go up for them. And they went to stand up and it was like a bomb exploded in the room. We figured out what it meant to have the Holy Spirit fall. Shabba. Shabba. So you figured out what that meant because it was like a bomb going off in the room. Hmm. You know, what's weird is that on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit arrived, people began proclaiming the wonders of God to everybody. Mm -hmm. That was the great miracle, is that God, the Holy Spirit, gave them voice to tell everybody about Jesus. You're saying a bomb went off and people hit the carpet. Yeah, it doesn't sound anything like the Holy Spirit falling if the day of Pentecost is to be understood as any kind of model for that. Because he fell sovereignly. People at the back, at the front, everywhere were, were flipping in their seats in between the, the, the rows, in the eye. They weren't proclaiming the wonders of Christ, calling people to penitent faith in Jesus. I mean, you know, but, you know, Jesus himself said that when the Holy Spirit 
comes, you know, the Holy Spirit would convict the world of sin and unbelief and things like that. Yeah, let me, let me, I mean, let me read, you know, like what Jesus said in this matter. Gospel of John, chapter 15, I'll read a few verses and then pick up the discourse a little bit, uh, you know, just a few verses later in chapter 16. Gospel of John, chapter 15, starting at verse 26, it says, uh, but when the Helper... The Helper, that would be the Holy Spirit. When he comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, good way of describing the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't about the lies, he's about the truth. Who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. You see, the Holy Spirit bears witness about Christ. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. But I have said these things to you. Now, chapter 16, verse 4. I've said these things to you so that when their, when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them. Did I not say the things to you from the beginning because I was with you? But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask, where are you going? Because I have said these things to you. Sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin. Yeah, that's what the Holy Spirit does. Convicts the world regarding sin, uh, righteousness, and judgment, and uh, concerning righteousness and uh, judgment because I go to the Father, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, and you'll see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Yeah, and so the Holy Spirit bears witness about Christ, convicts the world of sin and unbelief and judgment, and um, and glorifies Christ. Verse 14 says, He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And then when the Holy Spirit arrives on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the, it, in, empowered by the Holy Spirit, people are proclaiming the wonders of God and preaching Christ, convicting them of their sin and their unbelief, calling them to repentance. So here we have the Arnots recounting the history of the so-called Toronto Blessing. And they're not recounting how all these people all of a sudden emboldened, empowered by the Holy Spirit, were going out and proclaiming Jesus. It, instead, it sounds like they, you know, you know, they hit the floor and had some kind of a weird experience. But the experience sounds nothing like the day of Pentecost. Sounds nothing like the Holy Spirit falling on the day of Pentecost. Bouncing on their seats. I remember that Mary Audrey couldn't talk. Connie Sinek couldn't talk. What happened to you that day? I got blasted. I was on the floor shaking. I don't. I miss. Yeah, on the floor shaking. By the way, Scripture um, talks about people on the ground shaking. Mm -hmm. Those are demoniacs. That's what would happen to them prior to the demon being exercised. Uh-huh. To the end of the meeting. <laughs> I'm probably looking around going, whoa, what yeah, is going right. on? You know? Oh, my gosh. It was, yo, it was really Stretch good. Stretch your hand toward Carol and say, fire on you. <laughs> so... So, we, we, you know, we had just a humble beginning, friends, but listen... The Holy Spirit has always had a place of honor here. And he's the one that built this house. And we've said it over and over and over again. You're the senior leader here, Holy Spirit. Yeah. Whatever it is you want to do, that's what we do to the best of our ability. Yeah. And look what God has done. You know, it's so great to see the 
both congregations together at one time. How many are from, from normally from the early service? Wave at me. Stand up and give me a good wave, will you? Ah, oh, come on. I hope you cool. guys enjoyed sleeping in this morning. Okay. How many are normally from the second service? Why don't you stand up and give me a, give me a wave. Give me a shout. Come on. How many are holdovers from the conference last week? Well, you are so welcome, welcome, wow, welcome. Wel- you are. Do we have any of the holdovers from Mexico? Yeah, they're all over them. Mexico, Mexico, Mexico. Why don't you guys come and line up right around the front here on this line? We'll give you, you know, impartation number two. I mean, Mexico's on be- fire in case you haven't noticed. God is going to move there in a powerful way. Why pick on them? Because. So they're going to receive an impartation. Okay. I think they're a key to global revival, but Mexico is going to get it. Can I have about three catchers, four catchers catchers. real quick? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Get ready. Yeah. So they need people to catch the the people from Mexico. To take it. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Now, Carol Arnott is descending from the stage to uh, touch them and impart something to them. Stretch your hands toward them right here. Oh, Lord, let let the glory of God come mightily on them. Now she's touching them, and all these people from Mexico are falling backwards. There's catchers, thankfully, yeah. Holy Spirit, release your presence in this room. Fire on you. Uh. And some of them are convulsing on the ground, like demoniacs described in the New Testament. Release your presence. Carol, why don't you go get Stephen Sander while you're at it right there? Yeah, why don't you get him too, yeah. Yeah. You know, this stuff is better felt than telt. Did you know that? Uh, no biblical text describes anything like this. Yeah? At least related to the Holy Spirit. Regarding demonic spirits, yes. Fire, and the poor guy falls to the ground. Keep going, baby, keep going. Go pick on a few more. Get our staff over here. Here's Ben and John and Stu and Chloe and Melissa. I mean, come on up here, guys. This- so no biblical text, just a re- quick recounting of the history, including stories regarding Rodney Howard Brown. Right on this line, Ben. Just right here. Make it easy for... This is what we want for all of you at the end today. Wonderful Holy Spirit. Yeah, there's nothing holy about this spirit. Unless you're thinking maybe it's full of holes. Yeah, but not holy in the kadosh sense. We got... We asked Claudio Friesen to pray for Stuart the other day, and yeah, it was just, it was fun. It was great to behold. Okay, keep going, Carol. You can just do whatever you do. 
Yeah, everyone's laid out like dead bodies. And it's just utterly crazy. So there you go. I mean, that was the history portion of the ser- ser- sermon. Yeah, the, the Bible mysteriously remained closed while they recounted that history. Utterly creepy. They ended up going and doing fire tunnels, too. But uh, we'll uh, have to save that for another venue for fighting for the faith. Or maybe, maybe we'll put it out on YouTube. Who knows? But I think you get the idea. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook facebook.com forward slash pyre christian follow me on twitter my name there at pyre christian quick break when we come back we're going to be listening to michael curry's sermon from the royal wedding over the weekend stay tuned don't want to miss it we'll be right back gibberish is not one of the gifts of the holy spirit you're listening to fighting for the faith pirate christian radio theater presents death of a salesman are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hey, everyone, it's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's Coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious. It's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society, and it's, it's coffee. There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. So not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical. Somehow. All you have to do is order it online at gillespie.coffee, and it'll arrive at your door in a convenient, resealable bag filled with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee. I personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk. Yeah. Now that's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to gillespie.coffee and get some. That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E dot coffee. Rex out! Hey, you. Yeah, you. Listening to this program right now. Have you ever found yourself wishing there was more Fighting for the Faith content that you could listen to and share with your friends? Well, you're in luck. Because we now at Pirate Christian Media have a YouTube channel that we upload content to on a weekly basis. We got programs like Twistbusters, You Don't Have to Be a Cessationist, Messed Up Church, exclusive Skype interviews, Pirate Gang Conversations, and our most popular segment, Dumpster Fire. So if you're looking for some extra Pirate Christian Media goodness in your life, head on over to YouTube and search for Fighting for the Faith and subscribe.
Let's do this right. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via what St. George's Chapel, uh, the uh, wedding of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, uh, the Reverend Michael Curry presiding. And we're going to note that this is a dangerous sermon to review uh, because it's been well received. We're going to take a look at the theology. We're going to note that there's some things in here that just don't seem quite right. And it's going to be tough to kind of figure out what is not right about it unless you are properly distinguished between law and gospel, sin, grace, repentance, and the forgiveness of sins. What Michael Curry did in the sermon was really proclaim the excellencies of love. And he's right. But the problem is that we fall short because love is the law. Mm -hmm. Now the reason why Christ came and bled and died for our sins is because of God's great love for us, but you're going to notice the emphasis is on going to be on changing the world via love, which we can't do without the Holy Spirit and repentant faith in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. So we're going to see if we can tease out some of the issues in this sermon, because there are many, but like I said, this is high up there on the discernment scale as far as subtlety needed to properly work through it. So let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here is the Reverend Michael Curry uh, and his sermon from this past Saturday at the Royal Wedding. Here we go. And now in the name of our loving, liberating, and life-giving God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, immediately, I have to ask the question. When you say God is a liberating God, which he truly is, I mean, no doubt about it. What do you mean by that? The, re- the reason I ask is because in this sermon, themes regarding civil rights are going to come up. Themes regarding, well, I hate to say it, you know, Colonial slavery, which occurred in the British Empire as well as in the United States, which is sinful beyond all measure, and the type of slavery that was in effect in the in the 18th and 19th centuries, God's word strictly forbids. Um, but when we talk about liberation, we need to talk about how we have been liberated from slavery to the devil. Slavery to sin. Yeah, slavery is a vital part of rightly understanding God's word and the gospel itself. But let's see if he teases that out. Here we go. From the Song of Solomon in the Bible. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death, passion 
fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, a raging flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it out. Okay, the text in question, he didn't give us the, uh, the, the chapter and verse, but it's Song of Solomon chapter 8, starting at verse 6. Let me read it from the ESV, and because uh, I think this is a little bit helpful. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. It flashes, its flashes are flashes of fire. The very flame of the Lord, of Yahweh. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. All right, so that's the text, kind of, it's not really in context, and so you're going to note that really is the primary beginning problem with the sermon, and that is, is that the text that he's preaching on is out of context, and now my question immediately is, what kind of love are we talking about here? Are we talking about romantic love? Are we talking about brotherly love? Or are we talking about agape love? What Exactly what kind of love is being discussed here? Because Scripture makes very firm distinctions between those. In fact, in the Greek, if you know, it, it, well, this is in Hebrew, but in the Greek, you know, there are many words for love, four to be exact. And so uh, we've now got a problem, and that is is that how are we going to be defining love in this sermon? It's a wedding, so, you know, we got, we got a, you know, an assumption regarding love here that may not be helpful in rightly understanding what God has to say in this regard. The late Dr. Martin Luther King once said, and I quote, we must discover the power of love, the redemptive power of love. And when we do that, we will make of this old world a new world. Yeah, and and see, I, I got to take issue. Love is the fulfilling of the law. The, all of the Ten Commandments, all of the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The reason why our world is as messed up as it is is because each and every one of us fails daily to love our neighbors as ourselves and to love God with our whole heart. The reason why there is racism and why there was racial slavery is because of a complete breakdown of love towards the neighbor, even by people who profess to be Christians. And this sin of not loving our neighbor as ourself continues to this day, and each and every one of us are guilty before God. But in order to understand redemptive love. Redemptive love would be the type of love that Christ demonstrates for us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ dies for our sins. Redemptive love is sacrificial love, and is it is exemplified 
in the vicarious life and death of our Savior, Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. Talking about love in this way, in the abstract, and then saying as soon as we can somehow harness the power of love, we will transform this old earth. You see, it's not going to work that way because each and every one of us is a sinner, and even the best of us, we are all sinner saints. Uh huh. Christ is going to make the world new again when He returns in glory to judge the living and the end, the living and the dead. He's going to make a new heavens and a new earth, and all the things that cause sin will be destroyed. Uh huh. And the new Jerusalem will come out of heaven. Jesus is the one who will make the world new. Not us discovering love. And keep in mind, in this context then, love is the law. Love is not the gospel. we got a problem here. But love, love is the only way. There's power in love. Don't underestimate it. Don't even over-sentimentalize it. There's power. Power in love. If you don't believe me, think about a time when you first fell in love. The whole world seemed to center around you and your beloved. Oh, there's power. Power in love. Not just in its romantic forms, but any form, any shape of love. There's a certain sense in in which when you are loved and you know it, when someone cares for you and you know it, when you love and you show it, it actually feels right. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Because we have the law of God written on our hearts. And the law is fulfilled in love, love towards God, love towards the neighbor. And when you are not loving, you are falling grievously short, incurring the wrath of God. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, love is indeed powerful, and we know it's right. The problem is we don't love as we ought. We have not let the love of God have its way with us. Therefore, we have lived as if we mattered the most. No one else mattered, including God. That's the problem. I'm the problem. You're the problem. We're all the problem. But see, just telling us to love isn't going to solve the problem. Because the problem is we don't love. We have to be forgiven. We have to be regenerated. And you'll notice that it's the fruit of the Spirit. What are the fruit of the, what are the, fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You see, these are the fruit of the Spirit. These only come as the Holy Spirit works these things in us. No unbeliever is capable of truly bearing the fruit of the Spirit. There's something right about it. And there's a reason for it. The reason has to do with the source. We were made by a power of love. No, we were made by God, and God is love. 
Notice talking about love in the abstract here, now kind of talking about our creation by God, who is love in the abstract. Our lives were meant and are meant to be lived in that love. That's why we were we are here. Ultimately, the source of love is God himself, the source of all of our lives. There's an old medieval poem that, that says, where true love is found, God himself is there. The New Testament says it this way, beloved, let us love one another because love is of God and those who love are born of God and know God. Those who do not love do not know God. Why? For God is love. Correct. Quoting First John 4. Yeah. First John 4, 7 and 8. Indeed. There's power in love. There's power in love to help and heal when nothing else can. Yeah, indeed. Love does help and heal. Mm-hmm. When we love our neighbors selflessly, sacrificially, it does help. There's power in love to lift up and liberate when nothing else will. There's power in love to show us the way to live. Set me as a seal. Right. <laughs> love is the law. It shows us how to live. And yet, who of us can say that we love perfectly? On your heart. A seal on your arm. For love... It's as strong as death. But, but love is not only about a young couple. Now, the power of love is demonstrated by the fact that we're all here. Two young people fell in love, and we all showed up. But, but it's not just for and about a young couple who we rejoice with. It's more than that. Jesus of Nazareth, on one occasion, was asked by a lawyer to sum up the essence of the teachings of Moses. And Right. And <laughs> sum up the teaching, the essence of the teachings of Moses, which is the law. It was a lawyer who asked the question. And, and, and he went back and reached back into the Hebrew scriptures to Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. This is the first and great commandment. Yes. One that we all break daily. Minute by minute, second by second. Day after day. Week after week. Month after month. Year after year. There isn't a day that goes by, a moment that goes by, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And now, what was weird, if you go back and you watch the coverage of this wedding, when he was talking about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, the camera wasn't on Reverend Curry. Camera was on Camilla. Yeah, Camilla. 
Yeah, you see, there's a reason why Diana wasn't at this wedding. Because Charles didn't love the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He didn't love his neighbor, his wife, as himself. He was not sacrificially loving his wife as Christ has loved the church. And they divorced. I think the chances are that had he remained faithful as he ought to have been faithful, and that marriage had survived as it should have, Diana would have been there on Saturday. I just find it fascinating. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Camera cuts to Camilla. In Matthew's version, he added, he said, on these two, love of God and love of neighbor, hang all the law, all the prophets, everything that Moses wrote, everything in the Holy Prophets, everything in the Scriptures, everything that God has been trying to tell the world, love God, love your neighbors. Right, again, that's the law, and we don't keep it. And that's the problem, and that's why we need Jesus. And while you're at it, love yourself. Yeah, why not? Just throw that in there. That's not creepy or weird. No. Someone once said that Jesus began the most revolutionary movement in all of human history. A movement grounded in the unconditional love of God for the world. And a yeah, and Jesus demonstrated that in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. Mandating people to live that love. And in so doing... No, actually, Moses mandated us to live that love. And none of us did and do. That's why we need Jesus, not Moses. To change not only their lives, but the very life of the world itself. You see, it's preaching like this that makes you think that the gospel is love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. That's not the gospel. That's the law. I'm talking about some power. Real power. Power to change the world. The law of God has no power to change the world. And there is a biblical text that explicitly says that. Let me read it to you. It's found in Romans chapter 8. I'll start at verse 1 so that you can see what this text is saying. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh, those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death. To set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. 
For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. And how is God's law summarized? Love God, love your neighbor. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So, yeah, as profound as this fellow might sound, the issue is he's not pointing us truly to the cross. He'll mention it. Let's see if he preaches it. He's pointing us to the law and telling us to love. The problem is is that we're all sold under sin. And those who set their minds on the flesh cannot and do not submit to God's law, which is to love. If you don't believe me, well, there were some old slaves in America's antebellum South who explained the dynamic power of love and why it has the power to transform. They explained it this way. They sang a spiritual, even in the midst of their captivity. It's, it's one that says there is a bomb in Gilead, a, a healing bomb, something that can make things right. There is a bomb in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a bomb in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. And one of the stanzas actually explains why. They said, if you cannot preach like Peter, and you cannot pray like Paul, you just tell the love of Jesus, how he died to save us all. Oh, that's the bomb in Gilead. Right. And see, there's the gospel right there. Jesus died to save us all. He, Jesus is the bomb in Gilead. Saying it's different than proclaiming it. This way of love, it is the way of life. They, they got it. He died to save us all. He didn't, he didn't die for anything he could get out of it. Jesus did not get an honorary doctorate for dying. Come on, tell them. Please tell them he died for them. You see, he's holding love up properly as something we should aspire to. But the problem is we don't. This is the reason why we need the bomb in Gilead. Who is Jesus? He, he, he didn't. He wasn't getting anything out of it. He gave up his life. He sacrificed his life for the good of others, for the good of the other, for the well-being of the world, for us. He, he died to propitiate the wrath of God. He died as a vicarious substitutionary substitute. Is that redundant? Yeah, as our substitute on the cross. That's what love is. Love is not selfish and self-centered. Love can be sacrificial. Can be. Yeah, Jesus' love for us on the cross was definitely sacrificial. So note the gospel, the details of the gospel, Jesus' death, sacrificial death for us, is not being proclaimed to you as good news because Jesus died for your sins. Instead, it is being held up as an an example of love, so go thou and do likewise. Which, by the way, is a valid way of preaching the cross if you preach Christ crucified for you first. Sacrifice, comfort first. Then, as a penitent believer, the cross informs us as to how we are to live for others. We, as living sacrifices now for the sake of our neighbor, 
because we have been forgiven. But all of that's been skipped here. And in so doing, becomes redemptive. And that way of unselfish, sacrificial, redemptive love changes lives. And it can change this world. Uh, notice we're supposed to change the world now rather than go and proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins. This is the modern 21st century, say postmodern 21st century alternative to the Great Commission. Go and change the world. Just be loving to other people. Try to keep that law. Jesus, yeah, gave you an example. Just do the same thing he did. No repentance, no forgiveness of sins. This, I hate to say it, is not a proper use of the law because third use of the law, showing us what a good work is, is only for Christians, not for the unbeliever. If you don't believe me, just just stop and think for a magic. Think and imagine. Well, think and imagine a world where love is the way. Imagine. Yeah, I call this imagination Jesus. Yeah, imagine a world where love is the way. By the way, this is the world that's promised to us when Jesus returns and makes all things new and removes the curse and judges the living and the dead. This world is coming. He's going to make it. It's on its way. Our homes and families when love is the way. Imagine neighborhoods and communities where love is the way. Imagine governments and nations where love is the way. Imagine business and commerce when love is the way. Imagine this tired old world when love is is the way, when when love is the way, unselfish, sacrificial, redemptive, when love is the way, then... How are we supposed to achieve that when we're all dead in trespasses and sins and bent in on ourselves, following the desires of our sinful flesh? That's the opposite of love. child will go to bed hungry in this world ever again. When love is the way, we will let justice roll down like a mighty stream and righteousness like an ever-flowing brook. When we will make it. How are we supposed to set ourselves free from bondage to sin, slavery to sin and the devil? Love is the way poverty will become history. When love is the way, the earth will be a sanctuary. When love is the way, we will lay down our swords and shields. Yeah, actually, Scripture says that when Christ returns and he makes all things new, then we will beat our swords into plowshares and we will practice war no more. You're talking about us achieving this without Christ. How is that possible? Down by the riverside to study war. No more. When love is the way, there's plenty good room. Plenty good room for all of God's children 
Because when love is the way, we actually treat each other, well, like we are actually family. Right. And the reason why we don't treat each other as family is because we are sinners. When love is the way, we know that God is the source of us all. And we are brothers and sisters, children of God. Yeah, see, he, he, here's where we got to make a careful distinction. Christians are adopted children of God, redeemed from slavery. Those who are under the dominion of the devil, Jesus says, are children of the devil. Yeah, you can't overlook that little fact. So, again, notice, though, the audience, this is the whole world, you know, tuning in for this. They're not really hearing the gospel. They are hearing that they are children of God without any repentance. Love is being held up as the, as the standard, and it is. And they aren't keeping that standard. That's the assumption of the sermon. But they're not being told to repent being told of the love of Christ so that they can be forgiven. You see, that's the difference. This is a confusion of law and gospel of the supremest order. Holding up the law and the vision of the future that it casts for us in a sinless world as if somehow we can attain it on our own steam. All we got to do is stop being so selfish and just love each other. Go for it. If it were that easy, we wouldn't need Jesus now, would we? My brothers and sisters, that's a new heaven, a new earth, a new world. Which Jesus is going to make. A new human family. And let me tell you something. Old Solomon was right in the Old Testament. That's fire. Yeah, but you, see, you know Jesus is going to destroy this old world with fire, right? You know that, right? They are Deshadon, and with this, I will sit down. We got to get you all married. <laughs> <laughs> French Jesuit Teilhard de Chardin uh, was arguably one of the great minds and a Jesuit mystic. Spirits of the 20th century, a Jesuit Roman Catholic priest scientist, a scholar, a mystic. In some of his writings, he said from his scientific background as well as his theological one, some of his writings, he said, as others have, that the discovery or invention or harnessing of fire was one of the great, one of the great scientific and technological discoveries in all of human history. Fire, to a great extent, made human civilization possible. Fire made it possible to cook food and, and, and to provide sanitary ways of eating, which reduced the spread of disease in its time. Fire made it possible to, to heat warm environments and thereby made human migration around the world a possibility, even into colder climates. Fire made it possible. There, is no, there was no Bronze Age without fire. 
No iron age without fire. No industrial revolution without fire. The advances of science and technology are greatly dependent on the human ability and capacity to take fire and use it for human good. Anybody get here in a car today? An automobile? Nod your heads if you did, I'm guessing. I know there were some carriages. But those of us who came on cars, fire, the controlled, harnessed fire, made that possible. I know that the Bible says, and I believe it, that Jesus walked on the water. But I have to tell you, I didn't walk across the Atlantic Ocean to get here. Controlled fire in that plane got me here. Fire makes it possible for us to text and tweet and email and Instagram and and Facebook and socially be dysfunctional with each other. Fire makes all of of that possible. And and Deschardins said fire was one of the greatest discoveries in all of human history. And he then went on to say that if humanity ever harnesses the energy of fire again, if humanity ever captures the energy of love, it will be the second time in history that we have discovered fire. We're not going to we, we're not going to do it. Romans 8 says the mind that is set on the flesh is death to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God it does not submit to God's law indeed it cannot those who are in the flesh cannot please God so sad because he's right if we ever could I mean we'd change the world but the reason why we never do is because we are sinners Christ is going to be the one making the world new again. The one who loved us so much that he gave himself for us freely. Died for our sins on the cross. Taking the punishment that we deserve so that we can live. He died. That's the idea. See here, love is held up as this beautiful standard, and it is absolutely a glorious standard, if only. And the reason why it is so glorious is because the love that he's referring to reflects the very nature and essence of God. And this is the thing. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And what is the glory of God? The goodness of God, his great love. This is why we need a Savior. And this vision that he is casting of a future where everybody loves each other isn't attainable in this life. And we only make a beginning of it as Christians, loving one another in the church as Christ has loved us. Dr. King was right. We must discover love. The redemptive power of love. And when we do that, we will make of this old world a new world. No, we'll never do that. As a result of it, this old world will have to be destroyed and Christ will have to make the new one. We are not making a new world. My brother, my sister... God love you. God bless you.
And may God hold us all in those almighty hands of love. Like I said, major confusion of law and gospel. The things he said about love, though, were true. The problem is he said the things he said about us, somehow being able to, on our own, figure this out and harness it and change the world, not true. We are powerless to do that. We are slaves, born slaves to sin, death, and the devil. Christ is our Redeemer. Christ is the one who sets us free. Christ is the one who delivers us from the dominion of darkness. He's the one that's going to make the world new. Not us. And he's doing so because of his great love for us. A love we are incapable of attaining. Apart from repentance, faith in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, bearing fruit in keeping with repentance and bearing the fruit of the Spirit. None of that was said. None of that was pointed to. And yet, that's the very picture that we see in Ephesians 5 when it comes to husbands loving their wives as Christ has loved the church. Very sad. Very sad. I wanted to like that sermon, but I couldn't. Because rather than creating true hope, the end of the day, it creates despair. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there at Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow. May God richly bless you, and the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ is vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.